and welcome to another episode of Watch the Game, presented by the Nation Network. I'm your host, Sam Blazer, and this week we have a very special episode. It is with a Columbus Blue Jackets insider, some might say. Uh, I'm here at his apartment. I'm here with Rob Mixer, who writes for The Athletic, First Ohio Battery, and many other places, including The Sporting News. Rob, how are you doing today? Sam, I'm great. Welcome. <laughs> Thank you for having me at your place. Now, we're here to talk about the Blue Jackets, and I'm sure we're going to go uh, get into a deep dive about some other things. I, I'm willing to bet Star Wars is going to be a topic of conversation later, no, no, no. <laughs> knowing you. But uh, first, I want to talk about the big news of the day, and it's that of uh, UC Jokinen uh, claimed off wa- waivers uh, from the Blue Jackets. Now, that technically wouldn't be a lot of big news for other teams, but for the Blue Jackets this year and the injuries that have hit them, it's a big deal. What do you think about uh, what's taking place there and the claim? Well, I think the number one thing is is, is that they're in a spot where, <clears throat> excuse me, they just don't have enough depth at the forward position to withstand the next few weeks. Um, and there's you know, when a player is on waivers that you're familiar with, he's been around the league for a dozen plus years and played for a number of teams. You kind of know what to expect, and um, it's at a reasonable cost of acquisition in terms of salary, in terms of just being a pure waiver claim, it's something you have to look at because if you feel he can, well, you think he can help your team, hasn't had a great year, but um, based on where they are from an injury standpoint, they can't score goals, their power play stinks, this is something you have to seriously consider, and I think that's what it came down to is does this guy in the short term make us a better team? Probably. Um and they've struggled with their third and fourth lines. They have, they've moved guys around. Tyler Mott has been up and down. Hannah Kynan's been uh, not good at all. Um, you know, they now have Sonny Milano on injured reserve with an oblique injury. So uh, they're already down a few other bodies. And this move is it's a stopgap. But if he plays well, there's a chance he could remain in the lineup for the rest of the season. Um, you know, he can win faceoffs. He can play on the power play. Um, and given a new opportunity on a team that, quite frankly, needs him or needs him to be better than he has been, um, it could be good for him. That's good to hear. And I think you're exactly right about what he can be. And I don't think the impact is should be anything like, you know, top six player. No, right. And but you have to expect that they're, they they want a little something out of them, and considering what they've gotten this far, it's almost non-existent. I I don't blame them, and I don't think this is a, like a, a bad risk either, especially when you consider two years ago he I think almost topped sixty points or got close yeah, to. Yeah, he's sixty point players three years ago. So you know, I think Yarmulkek Lennon said today, I think it was to Aaron Portsline um, that you know three years have passed since that kind of production came from him. But they don't believe that his game has dropped off a cliff that considerably. Um, played on a, on a bad team. Um, played a limited role with the Kings. Um, it's going to be a limited role here. Um, and how much he plays is going to be determined by how well he plays. It's just the nature of the beast under John Tortorella. But, um, you know, they need him. Uh, they, they need some offense. They need a guy who can contribute something offensively. Uh, to help get them out of this funk that they're in. And, um, yeah, I, I think that that's kind of where they're thinking here is um, price point makes sense. Um, it doesn't gut your roster. It doesn't really disrupt your roster in the short term. And if when all the pieces come back and everyone's playing well and if he doesn't fit, 
then you cross that bridge. But right now, he is a fit out of pure necessity. Yeah, and uh, there and there is a lot of necessity there. I I I just wonder where the team is going to be able to go from here because they also got hit by an injury uh, today, or actually it happened earlier in this month uh, by Sonny Milano, yeah. um, who took a hit from Andres Borgman, and they're going to be down another player there. It, what do you make of the young players thus far that have stepped up? Because it, it feels like a loss uh, for, of Sonny Milano, but he hasn't. Perf- he's performed in spurts, and there's not much consistency there. It, are, do you like what the, the Blue Jackets' uh, young players have done thus far? Do you think there needs to be more of a step up, or is this more on the veterans? I think they've gotten more than they expected from some of their young players. I think they would obviously like more consistency from Sonny Milano, and you know. For me, it's a tough one because you think of what he's been through this year. He scores the first goal of the season. He scores a big goaler in the year. It was an overtime goal in Carolina. And you start to think that this kid's on his way. He's starting to figure mm-hmm. it out. He's he's starting to play both ends of the rink. He's being trusted with more, more ice time. And then it just kind of plateaus. And it's it's been... He hasn't gotten back to that point yet. I don't think he was playing extremely well back when he was scoring goals back in October mm-hmm. and November, but he was scoring, so they needed goals. Uh, and he was going to play um, as much as he would earn um, in all situations there. But um, he's a guy that's a curious case for them because he's got ability. He can skate. He can make plays. Um, but defensively, I, it's clear that they don't trust him. Um, you know, and and I don't know if the player has totally bought into doing the things that it takes to be trusted. I don't know if, if that's stubbornness, if that's just youth. could be a combination of both. But there's some really raw elements to his game, and I think it drives the coach crazy a little bit. Um, but on the other hand, you have guys like Pierre-Luc Dubois, who has gone above and beyond uh, what you could have imagined from him in, in his first year. So, um, and... I say this all the time, but can you imagine where the hell the Blue Jackets would be without 19-year-old Pierre-Luc Dubois, who the coach said a few weeks ago that he wasn't sure how much he could give the kid in his mm-hmm. back in you know, September, October of his rookie year. He wasn't sure how much he'd be able to handle. He wasn't sure what situations he could play and if he could play the wing. Can he play center if something happens and we need him? Well, he can, he can do that. He can do a lot more. <laughs> so... Um, much of their struggles offensively, offensively come back to their their more established veteran quote-unquote core players. Boone Jenner's had a down year. Nick Felino's had a very bizarre year. Um, he's had some really down stretches, and he scored a few goals here and there, and then back to a down stretch again. Cam Atkinson's been hurt. Um, Alex Wenberg, a really, really curious year so far. Um, and those are guys that they need to score uh, because they were such a big part of what they did a year ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, they're, they've been pretty upfront um, since the start of the year that, that this year was not going to be like last year. You know, mm-hmm. obviously, like, a lot of things went really well for them, almost perfectly for them last year. Um, you're getting 60 points from, from Alex Lemberg, who had 30 or 40 the year before. Uh, you're getting a 40-point season from a, from a 19-year-old defenseman. You're getting 12 goals from Seth Jones. You're getting 50 points from San Gagne. Like that, you know, those kinds of things are tough to repeat. Um, but what they need to be able to count on is a guy like Kim Magnuson scoring 25 goals. Mm-hmm. Boone Jenner scoring 15 to 20 goals. 
Um, you'd like to think Alex Weinberg could be a 40 to 50 point player, if not more, every single year. He's not going to be that this year unless something dramatic changes in the last 35 games. Um, so that's where their struggles are, is that, you know, they, I'd say the last year and a half to two years have been a really good 5 one 5 team. Mm-hmm. Um, they were sparked by their power play in the first half of last year, but they, they plowed through down the stretch because they were really good 5 one 5 They started this year 14-7 and because they were really good 5 one 5 And now the goals aren't there. Their shot share is dipping. Um, they're losing the possession battle on a regular basis, um, sometimes to some bad teams. Um, they've been a little better lately, um, but you look back to last week before the bye week, <clears throat> and you look at, I mean, you steal that game in Toronto, mm-hmm. and you feel like you've got an opportunity with Buffalo and Vancouver back-to-back at the end of the week to really bank some points and go in the break where you're probably going to lose some ground because other teams are playing and you're not um, with a bit of a cushion. They get zero points against both of those teams. Um, and you go into the break with 53 in a really weird feeling, and you think to yourself, man, if, if Boone Jenner scores a goal or two, if um, Alex Wenberg gets something going, if the power play pops in a couple of goals, um, it's scored against Vancouver, um, but that was all they had that, that entire game until late third period. Something in there has to change to turn those games the other way, and you can only ask so much of the young players who have done so much. Um, you can only ask so much of Artemi Panarin, who's been unbelievable. Yeah. Um, you know, they need those other core guys who are currently in the lineup to contribute something. And to this point, it's been a few and far between, and that's the reason why they're in kind of a precarious spot right now rather than being where they should be, which is maybe four or five, six points above where they currently are. They, you, you pretty much hit the nail on the head. I was going to interrupt on some of those pieces. I was like, I have a question about Boone Jenner. I have a question about <laughs> Alexander Wenberg. I was like, he's on a roll. I'm going to let him keep going. Uh, I guess one of the players I want to hit on, and I think I feel like it's a general theme with the team overall, is what has happened with Boone Jenner earlier in the season and what he is now. You and I had these uh, you know, private discussions before and obviously mm-hmm. in Slack as well about how Boone Jenner earlier in the year didn't look great uh, from a number standpoint, from what he was doing. He was throwing his body around. He was doing what he yeah. always did, but it never really came to anything. No, nothing, no chances were being made. But now it's starting to come come back, and it seems like the, the peaks and the valleys that the uh, the Blue Jackets are hitting are at completely different times. Yeah. What, what do you think an explanation like that is for? Do you think that there's... Uh, I, I, I can't think you can blame it on coaching. You can't think you can blame it on effort. It's just... Something is happening there where the players are like, okay, I'm in my groove here, and yeah. it's and then they're out of it otherwise. That's a good question. Um, it's it's hard to pin down because Boone Jenner is one of the guys who I thought has played pretty well the last week or so, mm-hmm. um, and we're starting to see his game maybe turn a corner. Um, looks quicker, looks more tenacious, has touched the puck a lot more. Um, which is good. Um, they they need him to be around the puck more. That's where uh, he's going to be effective. Um, but the one thing that really stuck out to me, um, and and I can't get past it, is, and I hate to bring this up because it, it it sounds so 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 stupid in a way, but 
when John Tortorella basically proclaims to the world that he is abandoning safe as death for the time being on an, on an interim basis um, and says we're going to focus more on being solid away from the puck we're going mm-hmm. to focus on limiting chances that to me was a weird moment in time that I can't stop going back to because at that moment from that day forward their 5-on-5 game has started to decline. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of, <clears throat> excuse me, weird, bad habits have started to creep into their game 5-on-5. Um, which is tough, because when you can't rely on your power play for anything, you need to be perfect 5-on-5, and your goalie needs to be perfect. And Sergei Bobrovsky's gone through kind of an up-and-down stretch here too recently. Um, very poorly timed. Um but that to me was weird because I think to myself, God, safe as death got you 50 wins, 108 points, and it got you 14 wins in the first 21 games this year. And all of a sudden, mm-hmm. because you're missing three or four guys, you're going to say, screw it. Why? If safe as death got you here, why can't it get you out of it? Yeah. Is the thing I keep thinking to myself. Um, and when they're like, could it have been just a period of time where they made some bad mistakes in games and it cost them? When you play that kind of aggressive game, it's, it's going to happen. But um, you have to take chances, make chances to get something going, especially when you're missing so many important players. Um, and one of the reasons that Safe as Death worked for them last year and worked for them this year is that they're not giving up as many chances because they're spending most of their time trying to create chances of their own. It's hard, it's easier for them to defend, quote-unquote, or play well defensively when they're just playing in the offensive zone, when they're skating and they have the puck and they're taking chances and trying to make things happen. Um, And then, you know, they got really lucky with the game in Dallas. Um, They pulled a rabbit out of their hat there with two third-period goals. Mm -hmm. Um, They got lucky in Toronto. Uh, when the Leafs kind of sat back and thought they had the game won. Mm-hmm. Um, other than that, it's been it's been a kind of damnification of you know what going away from your bread and butter can do to a team. Um, and I'm not going to place all the blame on on John Tortorella because I think he was doing what he felt his team needed to do at that period of or at that period in time to um, maybe save some face, bank some points do whatever they could to make sure they didn't beat themselves because they were they were doing that um, for a 5-10 to 10 game stretch. But it, it just, I can't get past it because, like, that's your identity. That's mm-hmm. the Blue Jackets that were so good last year for so much of the year. Um, they were on the attack. And when teams played them, they knew that the Jackets were going to come at them. They are going to come at them with four lines and three pairs and don't take a penalty because they can beat you. Um, you know, that to me is just weird because I feel like it changed the, the whole attitude of the team. Yeah. It changed the way that they approach the game. It changed the way that they attack. Um, their shot selection is, is atrocious on many nights. They don't get many high danger chances. That number's going down. Um, their heat maps are horrifying on some nights. Oh, yeah. Um, so. I wonder how much of an effect that really had on the team's 
psyche and their thought process because it's been drilled into their head from day one of camp this year and day one of camp last year for the guys that came back that, you know, this is how we play. This is who we are. Um, so I, I, I wonder if that has something to do with it. Um, I hope it didn't have everything to do with it because um, they still need to score more than their opposition to win. Mm-hmm. Um, and when they're struggling to score as they are right now and they're struggling to get anything offensively going on a regular basis, I think back and I wonder, man, if they just went back to what they were or they kept on being what they were, how might this stretch of 15 or so games be different? What What's weird, too, is it kind of feels like a lot of it is on the defense and the maturing process of some of the players and the regression of some of the players and what and how they've developed. Oddly enough, last year this fall-off kind of happened as well when Ryan Murray was injured mm-hmm. at the end of last year. And then this year it seems like it was... I don't think he's this all-world player who makes like you know all the difference in the world. Yeah. But one of the odd things to me is that he's positionally sound. He's offensively he can pass and he can put a, a puck on net if he needs to. And for whatever reason, it just stabilizes everything. And now they're trying to fill in with Scott Harrington. They're trying to fill in uh, with Gabriel Carlson at times. And they've moved Jack Johnson down. And I don't think Jack Johnson and David Savard were having a lot of success before. I mean, I, sure. I know they weren't according to their numbers. But you, you you have to look at what's going on there and be like, that they don't trust the defense out of Seth Jones and Zach Wierenski, And they don't want to move separate those two, which I feel like would solve a lot of their problems uh, in some way. But... What do you do? You think that the defense is a lot to blame there? Because I mean, the, obviously the bottom six isn't stepping up. There's mm-hmm. there's a lot of things that you can pinpoint here, and a lot of things you can point to, right? Uh, which I don't think is uh, a great thing for the Blue Jackets front office. No, and I don't have the data sitting in front of me, but I was looking at this a couple weeks ago, and um, Ryan Murray and Brandon Dubinsky are two of the Blue Jackets' more consistent players at suppressing shots, um, and. You look over the years and you see some patterns develop as to when Ryan Murray is out of the lineup for an extended period of time, um, that that changes for the Blue Jackets. They give up more shot shot attempts. Um, their five on five differentials change. Um, he's a very good player at limiting shots, um, and um, I think Brandon Dubinsky is a similar ilk of a player. Granted, he's a forward, um, but similar data shows up for him as well. Um, they're, a, they're a poor defensive team with those two guys out. Um, that's um, an undeniable fact. And I think Ryan Murray in this doesn't get enough credit for how well he has played and how good of a player he is. And it, um, unfortunately, when you deal with injuries on such a consistent basis as he has the last couple of years, and he, he played all 82 games two two years ago um, and looked to be turning a corner and last year played really well when he's in the lineup and this year looked good at the start of the year um, and it sounds like they could be getting him back soon um, and they need him back in the lineup in that top six group of defensemen because they have I think you're right they have some major issues back there beyond their top two guys and um Ryan Murray is a guy that I keep coming back to as, as a unheralded, underappreciated player who does a lot of things well and um, masks a lot of mistakes um, for the Blue Jackets just by the way he plays. Um, and 
hopefully, uh, when he gets back in this time, he can stay healthy um, and get some consistency going in his game because when he's playing a lot and playing well, he's a pretty damn good player. Um, and it's to the Blue Jackets, um, it's to their advantage when he's in the lineup. Definitely. And, and I, we think about the defense, and there's also a possibility they could be in flux even more because I, I, we haven't really touched on it much, and it's another thing that's been in the headlines uh, as well is uh, how Jack Johnson reportedly asked for a trade right. out of Columbus for a team that will give him more ice time and, uh, so he can uh, you know, put on an audition for unrestricted free agency. So that's on the table. It, it felt like even before this came out that it was a possibility. Just when, Even from an optics standpoint, you're like, okay, he's losing ice time. He's an unrestricted free agent. He costs X amount of money. Some pe- some teams, uh, you know, love what he's able to do. You're like, okay, there 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 is something coming anyway. Even if you just look at it, it yeah. makes a lot of sense. So, if you're the Blue Jackets front office, or if you're someone from another team, what are you getting from uh, Jack Johnson, and what do you think exactly is a fair return, both in your opinion and what would actually be the NHL today? That's that's a tough one. Um, yeah, and. You can start to see some signs of this um, coming, not directly to a, a trade request, but just that there's a resolution on the horizon. Because, yeah. um, you know, a GM needs to make a decision on a player like that pretty quickly um, to get a gauge of, you know, do I have a chance to sign this guy? Or am I going to have to... And, and Elliot Friedman said that they actually had discussed... Uh, you know, an extension yeah. earlier in the year. Right, back in August or mm-hmm. back toward, toward the summertime, right, um, which didn't come to fruition, which makes you think at what point did the Blue Jackets know that this was going to be the resolution and how much homework have they done on this, how much or how far down the road is this, we don't know. Um, but to me, I mean, the more I think about this is that, you know, one, they can't do a, um, a futures deal. Jack Johnson. No, they, they, they really they, can't. They have too many needs. Um, they could swap for another defenseman. I don't think that's as likely. I, w- I, I think that their their focus is on getting help up front. Mm-hmm. Um, and, I mean, I think someone else wrote about this or mentioned this on, on a segment recently, but a rental-for-rental rental deal makes a lot of sense. Um, a guy who's in the last year of his deal... Um, who can add some offense, maybe play center. Um, if it's a wing, so be it. But if you can find a player in the last year of his deal that is swappable for Jack Johnson for to send him to a team that needs a left shot, left side defenseman who can play in that three to five, six guy range, mm-hmm. um, maybe that's where they should look. Um, and it's unfortunate because... You know, people who follow the Blue Jackets know how much Jack Johnson has impacted the franchise. Oh yeah, since he got here five years ago, um, uh, and uh, or six years ago now. Crap, it's 2018, isn't it? Um, so, <laughs> yeah. Um, but you know, these things happen, and it, it, it's not a surprise coming from a guy like Jack, who's a proud guy, and. Um, feels he should be playing more than he is, but also probably understands um, what lies ahead of him. You have a 23-year-old star defenseman who's going to win a Norris Trophy someday. Um, you have a 20-year-old star defenseman who's probably going to win a Norris Trophy 
someday. You have emerging young players. You have a stalwart like um, um, Savard back there who's not going anywhere. Um, and there are guys in the pipeline. Gabriel Carlson, Scott Harrington can fill in here and there. Dean Kukons play well in Cleveland this year. Vladislav Gavrikov is still in Russia. They don't know what his timetable is. So, so they have options in the pipeline um, that are that are pushing and they're on the come here. So um, Jack Johnson and his um, team probably see that, that this is why his role is dropping. I mean, let's also be real. He hasn't played well. Oh, yeah. Um, he's had a really crappy year. Um, one of the worst years of his career. Um, and After coming off one of his best years right, last he, year. He, just an awesome year last year. A, a huge part of their team last year to, to give them a second pair that was virtually no maintenance. Um, they knew what they were getting with um, Jones and, and... A lot of and, defensive zone starts there right, for them. Yeah, a lot of D-zone starts, a lot of tough matchups, um, a lot of PK time, and they ate it up and they played really well. Um, and, you know, you know what you're getting from the top pair, and they're able to use the third pair, Murray, Nudavara, then Carlson toward the end of the year. Um, it gave them a really good group of six, and right now they have a group of six that is... Um, kind of a mess, and they're leaning really heavily on Zach Wierenski and Seth Jones to, to carry the load as much as they can um, while keeping them together, which causes issues down the lineup where, you know, how much can you use Jack Johnson? How much can you use Scott Harrington? Um, how much do you um, want to elevate Marcus Nudavar, who's played great this year, and um, Savard? So, um there's a lot of things going on with this and I get it from the player's perspective. I also get it from the team perspective because they don't have to do anything right now. They have about a month, a month plus to figure it out. Um, and if they find something that, that works, you know, the old um, GM line is we're going to make the best deal for our team. Mm-hmm. And that's probably what they're going to do. And uh, you know, all signs point to his time in Columbus being over sooner than later, um, and it's it's a product of a good situation, honestly, the, where they have a good young group um, and they have players that need opportunity, um, and he's being pushed out. That's 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 the way it goes, but that's also the mark of a healthy organization. I think it was Tom, I believe it was Tom Reed who wrote something for the Athletic talking about how you know Columbus and the Blue Jackets and the fans are you know. Oh man, we're complaining about X, Y, and Z problems right. when the, they're problems that people would have dreamed of, and they would have like you know done yeah. anything for in years past. Good organizations have. Yeah, exactly. And so they they have a lot of good young players, and they may need to push some veterans out because of it. And you know, as Jack Johnson was looking for an extension, a player who did get an extension, Cam Atkinson, this past year, he hasn't performed yet, and I, I kind of just want to touch base on that. He's close to six million dollars a year and he, uh, on six years, I believe. I'm not exactly seven. Exa- seven? Yep. Yeah, seven. And uh, and obviously, some people are, uh, you know are upset about what his production is thus far. He had a nice little spurt after he signed the contract for the Blue Jackets. What can they do, and what is acceptable for them as a performance for him over the course of this contract? What exactly do you think they're looking for? Like, I, I don't think they're expecting 30 goals at the age of like 34. I think right. they're going to be someone who continues as an offensive weapon, you know, develops as a sniper, you know, does things like that. Yeah. 
I think you're right too, and I, I think where they could start with him when he comes back from injury is, you know, he's he's a player that's always played his best when he's on a line that um, is sensibly put together um, and features players that he works well with. Mm-hmm. They tried the Jenner Dubinsky combination with him, and it's it just doesn't work. Like it, it just doesn't work, but. For some reason, they keep going back to it to try and get him going, or maybe it was to get Boone Jenner going, and um, that trio just hasn't worked. It's some games, it's it's fine; others, it's not. But I think Cam's season started to go weirdly from the start when um, they put Panarin, Wenberg, and Atkinson together, and that line did not work as they thought it would. Um, it was blown up pretty quickly. Um, they had Nick Foligno on the wing, then they had Nick Foligno at center. Um, it was all over the place, and they found something with um, Pierre Dubois and Josh Anderson and Artemi Panarin, so they got that set. But that left Atkinson kind of all over the mm-hmm. place, up here, down there, um, different centers, different line mates every other night, and they couldn't find something that worked. So I think when he comes back, I'm looking to see how they deploy him, who they play him with to see if that can get him going. Um, because what they've done so far with him hasn't worked. I mean, he did have a good stretch after he signed the deal um, before he got hurt against the Flyers. He, he seemed to play well with Alexander Wenberg. Yes. Yeah, I, I think that's something that they should try again now that he's back in the lineup. So um, who else fits on that line? I, I don't know. Um, but those two, yeah, seem to work well together. And I think that it forces Wenberg to play quicker. It forces yeah. him to make um, more aggressive choices with the puck. Um, and it gives Wenberg an option to pass, which I think he likes to do to, to a guy that likes <laughs> to shoot. Uh, and, and those two seem to work well as a duo, but they need to find a good third piece on, on the left side. So, um, you know, Atkinson is probably tracking to come back. I think if it's four to six weeks, maybe by the All-Star break or shortly thereafter. Um, so that's something I'm, I'm watching to, to try and um, monitor how he gets his game back together because they need him, too. I mean, if we keep saying they need this guy, they need this guy, well, hell, they need the 25 to 30 goal score they've had mm-hmm. the last six years to be a 25 to 30 goal score. Um, that, that's a lot of goals. That's a lot of offense that they yeah. don't have right now. So... Um, for him, he's not going to be a 30-35 goal guy every year. Just, just, just like you said, I, I think if they get 20 to 25, 40 to 50 points, um, that's where he's going to help them. Um, but they need power play production from him too. Um, they need to, to shoot the puck more on the power play. They need him to be more aggressive on the power play. Um, and he, he was last year. I mean, he scored a lot of... Um, nice goals in the power play last year. He's in motion, finding open ice. Um, he's scoring from the circle. He's scoring from the slot. Um, they were able to use him all over the place last year. Um, and as their power play has kind of stagnated, I think his role has too, um, where there's just not enough motion, there's not enough activity um, to create havoc. I mean, that's why the good power plays in the NHL are so good is because they break down coverage all over the ice. And um, the Jackets just haven't done that this year. So um, getting him back is going to be huge. Um, and I suspect that he is going to be a motivated player because he's watching 
these games and seeing, holy, they, 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 these guys can't score, and I can score. Mm-hmm. So I need to get back in there and score. Yeah, and I, I don't I don't see any reason why he's not going to bounce back considering what he had done with his underlying numbers before. It feels like he could, you know, come back into the lineup and, and contribute. It's not like he's lost his touch. It's not like there's any, anything like that that's happened. It, it could definitely take place. Now, you talked about the All-Star break, and this, this is kind of just a question that I've been pondering, and you brought it up uh, in one of the roundtables that we had uh, over at First Ohio Battery was about what the Blue Jackets are going to have to do in the second half, either to succeed or you know possibly miss the playoffs. And yeah, I had to look at it from two different ways. It was like, okay, this is what if they do well or if they, if they don't. But what do you actually think is going to happen over the, like the you know last half of the season for the Blue Jackets? Because it's it's tough to predict. I and I, I started thinking about that afterwards, and I go, that's just you know too too big uh, of a question to ask myself. But so that's why I'm going to pose it to you and make you answer it. <laughs> I don't know, man. I mean, their their margin for error is, is so slim right now. I mean, a couple weeks ago, they're looking at a six or seven point buffer on the playoff line, and now it's three. And um, they're not playing well. They're in this haze of the dog days right now where they're injured and they have a lot of things going on with their team where they're unsettled and um, their game's not in a great place and teams around them are starting to come alive. Pittsburgh is coming alive. Um, the Islanders are making a push. The Hurricanes are still in it, but the Flyers are somehow still in it. Um, <laughs> and the Devils are slipping, but they won the other night, so they're kind of back. I mean, they're back up in um, second place now. Um, and everyone's chasing the Capitals, which is what we talk about every single year um, in this division. Um, and I don't even think Washington's played all that well. I mean, mm-hmm. I mean, they're not. They're five points up. I think maybe six now on New Jersey. Um, they're not running away with it, but the Blue Jackets are losing ground at kind of an alarming rate. Um, where they played more games, they're idle until Thursday night. Mm-hmm. Um, then they play three games in the next what is it, ten, twelve days. Um, so their their opportunities to get some of that ground back aren't going to come as quickly as they'd probably like to. I mean, I'm sure mm-hmm. they'd like, based on where they wake up tomorrow and see where they stand, they might want to play four and six. Yeah. Um, but they're going to play three in the next 10 or 12, whatever it is. And they had that opportunity to catch up uh, they, on Vancouver and absolutely. Buffalo. Absolutely, and, and they wasted it. Um, and now it gets tough because they're playing Dallas. They're playing Vegas. Um, they're playing Arizona and then back home to play Minnesota at the end of the month. And they play a ton of... Of, of division games in February and March. Um, and that's going to be where their fate is decided. I think they make it. I think they're too good to not make it. Um, and I'm not as convinced about some of the teams around them. Um, I'm not going to say who they are because I don't <laughs> want this to come back and bite me in the ass in two months. Yeah, uh, I, I don't blame you. I don't blame you. <laughs> um, but I'm I'm convinced that if they get their their guys back in the lineup, which they will soon, um, and that they, towards are you listening, uh, get <laughs> back to their aggressive attacking style, um, then I think that they have a, a good chance. I mean, they, they've wasted some great efforts from Sergei Bobrovsky lately, who had a, you know, kind of a weird stretch about a, a few weeks ago, but has been really good over the last few games because he, 
he's been in a groove. He's, he's playing a lot, um, which is when he's at his best. Um, you know, he needs some help. Um, he's not been getting it. Um, I think he looked a little tired uh, last Friday against Vancouver. That was kind of an odd night for mm-hmm. him. Um, but, um, you know, I think they make it. Um, that's my that's my official proclamation. Um, I don't know where they they fall in the order. Um, they could finish second. Um, they could be a wild card team. Um, if I had to guess, I would I would peg them as one of the top three in the division. I think they're one of the three best teams um, when they're healthy and when they're playing well. Um, they have 36 games left to do that and get back to that place. Um, but, you know, it's... God, this division is crazy. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, no one seems to want to fall out of the race. Um, I mean, the closest team you can look at to say is dangerously on the precipice of that is Carolina. Um, and even they're not out of it by, by any stretch. Philadelphia is on the brink. Um, but they're still scratching and clawing and find a way to hang around. Um, the Rangers, some nights they look awesome, some nights they look awful. Um, now there's talk of them even possibly trading pieces from right. the team, which is like, okay, I, I wasn't expecting that to be the case and exactly. uh, where did that your season was going to go. Yeah, and which is also going to be interesting to see at the deadline or as we get closer to trade season is how many of these teams that are going to be, I mean, there could be in an 18 division like 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 the Metro, there could be um, f- four or five teams that are within four or five points of each other, and some of those teams have to decide whether they're they are. I mean, I, I I can't see if you're one of those teams how you can say we're pulling the plug and then start selling some pieces off. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's a hard decision to make, but you, some teams are going to have to do it um, with a month plus left in the season. Um, so. Yeah, I mean, I mean, no one seems to want to really bow out yet. Um, it's been that way all year long, and it's only getting tighter as you know teams start to make their push. And I mean, you knew Pittsburgh's gonna find a way. Mm-hmm. Um, they're too good, um, and you knew the Rangers would be there. You knew the Capitals would be there. Uh, New Jersey's been a great surprise, um, and they're hanging around. Um, and the Islanders are. Every time you watch them play, like you think they're out of a game and they find a way to get back into it. Um, they don't play really well defensively, but they mm-hmm. score a lot of goals. Um, and that's how they bank some points. And um, it's in stark contrast to the Blue Jackets, who right now um, have to either get lucky, like, like they did in Toronto, or play perfect mm-hmm. to get points. I mean, they, they had to play pretty perfect um, at home just before Christmas against the Flyers. Uh, to win that game in a shootout, yeah. and Bob had to be as Bob. good as, as good <laughs> as good as he's been in, in a while to get two points for them that night. So um, it's going to be a fun division to watch. Um, anxious times ahead for those who follow the, all these teams because a, a great stretch means you're in good shape for a little bit, but then you follow it up with a bad stretch and you're screwed. So um, yeah, it's it's wild and it's fun and. Um, but I, th- I think the Blue Jackets have what it takes to make it. 
I think they, I think they do too, and it's it's tough to say otherwise. And actually, uh, while while you were talking there, it came down that Cam Atkinson is freed from his boot and was back at practice today. Oh, nice. So that's, that's great. yeah, exactly. So that's going to be he's ahead of schedule, and we'll, and we'll see what's going to happen there. Now, I only have a couple more questions for you, and they're not necessarily about the Blue Jackets right here, right now. I kind of just want to talk about Rob Mixer, the human being in the person. All right. So uh, <laughs> as Rob looks at me and he rolls his eyes and he's like, oh, God, what the hell is he going to ask me here? Now, if you aren't aware of what uh, Rob's done, uh, done before in his past uh, you know, career and what he's doing now, he does a lot of social stuff for a lot of websites, a lot of different places, um, and one of them being the Columbus Blue Jackets. Now, I got to ask you a question, Rob, and I, I know you've probably answered this before, but what is like the oddest or perhaps the craziest story that you have from doing social with the Blue Jackets or anything out of maybe involving the players themselves or you know possibly another big media entity? Uh, that's a good question. Um, crazy stuff. I mean, I think one of the cool things about the job is that the nature of sports is that faces and players change a lot. And you get to work with a lot of different personalities. And um, you get some guys who maybe aren't as interested in doing something, but you get other guys who are um, really into it. And one of the pleasant surprises for me and a, a guy that became a go-to guy is now the leading goal scorer for the Vegas Golden Knights, William Carlson. Mm-hmm. Um, didn't know anything about him when he got there to Columbus a few years ago. And he was pretty quiet because he came around. He came around the deadline, like March-ish, yeah. and the season was kind of in the bag, and um, everyone was just kind of playing out the string, and um, it wasn't really a whole lot of opportunity to say, like, hey, let's do some cool stuff with these guys. You know? mm-hmm. It was just kind of winding down um, at that point. But um, the next year, we got to know Wild Bill, and um, he's just got a great personality. He's hilarious. He's sarcastic. He's witty. He's quick. I mean, he's, he's sharp. Um, he's got a great sense of humor. Uh, and it's really cool to see him uh, doing so well in Vegas with a great opportunity mm-hmm. because um, he was an MVP for us uh, for our team on the social side because mm-hmm. if we needed something... He was cool with it. <laughs> in a pinch, he was cool with it. Um, you know, and uh, he found a way to do everything. Like, some guys will just do it to do it and get it over with, mm-hmm. but... Bill always wanted to do it um, and add his own personal twist to it and um, make sure he had some fun doing it. So not really all like, like wild or crazy stories, but, um, you know, working with a bunch of different players who um, from all over the world and um, different personalities and, and interests and all that kind of stuff. Um, we didn't know a whole lot about Wild Bill before he got there, but we started to figure out uh, quickly, why he got that nickname, and uh, it was a blast to work with him. Exactly, the he had the personality shine through. You had uh, you had uh, those long uh, yellow locks <laughs> all, all over gifts. I, yeah. I I remember that and being like, he's a lot of these, and I was like, he he, he must yeah. he must enjoy these. So yeah. I, it's it's good to hear that, and that's funny to hear. Now I got one last question for you, and I did promise we we're going to talk about Star Wars for a little bit, just because you and you and I have discussed this before, and Kyle Kyle Morrison who um, also does work with the uh, first Ohio battery. We talk about star Wars every once in a while, uh, every once in a while, I guess is, you know, a little bit, uh, yeah, exactly. Of an understatement here. So I want to get your quick review on the last Jedi. And also with that, I want you to defend the movie from the backlash that's been going on. Okay. 
and then, by the way, if, if Rob perks up here, we may need to transition, uh, you know, the podcast that we're going to be doing at First Ohio Battery to solely a, a Star Wars podcast. Well, okay, so part of the issue with Star Wars fandom is it's so it's so large and so passionate and um, it's so cultural that um, when you have this set timeline of there is a new movie every two years in this saga um, the natural thing to do is once you see one to begin piecing together in your mind what you think the next one should be Mm -hmm. Um, we're in the age of social media and we're in the age of reddit um, and um, reddit is a huge hub for Star Wars fans Star Wars fandom conversation, speculation, rumors, leaks, you name it. Um, and, you know, I blame Reddit for this one. Uh, <laughs> because, you know, for two years, you had people who committed their life to, um, excuse me, concocting what they think The Last Jedi should be. Um, their own version of it. So when they go to the theater and see it, and it's not what they expect, they don't like it. And, uh, you know... I go back to thinking about all these things that, 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 that people want to see from Star Wars or have wanted to see in a Star Wars movie um, for a long time. You know, People complained that the prequels were poorly written and acted and produced. They were. So they want better writing in Star Wars, and they get it from Ryan Johnson. But they don't want it like that. You know, They want to see General Leia use the Force that has been in her from birth. Mm-hmm. But they don't want to see her use it like that. Mm-hmm. Um, they want to see um, a different kind of villain, um, a more vulnerable, less uh, less uh, mustache twirly <laughs> villain. But they don't want it like that. Yeah, you know, um, you know, they want to see all these different things, but not like it was in that movie. So it's like okay, fan service without the actual fan service. Right. It's like, you know, I want my cake and I want to eat it too, mm-hmm. but I also want ice cream and I also want the cake to be chocolate and I want it to be frosted this specific way. Um, that's what you get. I mean, it's, it's, I get it in a way because that's what you get when you have a movie franchise that is as big and powerful as Star Wars is. Um, but I also think that um, I think the best part about The Last Jedi is that it takes everything you ever thought Star Wars should be and throws it out the window. And I thought it was well written. Mm-hmm. I thought um, the way the story developed was really was really interesting to me because um, it's about failure. The whole movie is about failure. Almost everything that every major character sets out to do in the movie, they fail at. Mm-hmm. And that sets up the final installment of the trilogy, which is coming in two years. Um, you look at Rey. She wants to find out who her parents are, and she thinks that she knows who they are or what they should be. And it, the answer that she gets fails her. Mm-hmm. She thinks she can turn Ben Solo to, to the light, and she fails. Um, General Leia thinks she can find her brother and bring him back to restore hope. She fails. Um, you know, Finn and Rose go on a mission to find the Codebreaker and break into the Supremacy and turn off hyperspace tracking. They fail. Mm-hmm. Um, 
everything about what the main characters face in the movie is about how they deal with failure, and it's a it's a lot of um, it's very similar to what a lot of people deal with in their lives. How do you respond to challenges? Mm-hmm. How do you overcome adversity? How do you use your experiences in your past to set up your future? Um, that's what I liked about it is that it's a very deep look into characters where sometimes in movies like this you try to pack um, so much into two, two and a half hours that you miss a lot of things. Yeah. But a lot of things that people miss were already there. Mm-hmm. You just have to see it a couple times or seven or eight to get <laughs> the full grasp of it. But yeah, that, that's that's my, I mean, I, I thought it was awesome. And, and, and a lot of people yeah. want to say that it's, you know, a popcorn movie, they want this, they want that. But if you even look back at the uh, the original ones, there's a whole there's a whole lot of depth to it. Right. And, yeah. and, and the if you're taking it at, at a face level and you're like, okay, I, I don't like the casino island, like, mm-hmm. okay, that's, that's, that's completely fine, but I don't think you understand what is, like, lar- is largely at play here while also trying to entertain you. And, you know, I understand those people, too, to an extent, but, you know, the, the protests and things like that, it's like, okay, you, 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 gotta, you gotta calm down yeah. here. It's, it's important, but, you know, it's not anything that you need to, you know, make it into, like, a state investigation about. <laughs> <laughs> right, which yeah. which happens. I feel I felt like a lot, at least at least the way that you know uh, the media has portrayed it. There's been a lot of times where they're it's like, crazy. "Hey, well, I, what the heck is going on here? We're doing this, we're doing that uh, as a way to uh, protest at all." When I was a kid, um, I what did I see? Oh, I saw The Wizard of Oz as a really young kid. I was like five or six years old, mm-hmm. and I and I loved it, um, but. I saw it again when I was like nine or ten with my sister who was younger, and I went to my parents with the list of things. It was like, this isn't right, or like, why is this this way, or you know, a bunch of different like plot holes. I picked out as a ten-year-old, and my dad just put his hand on my shoulder and said, "Son, it's a movie. It's not, <laughs> it's not real." And a lot of times, I find myself going back to that. Like when people talk about Star Wars and they're just nitpicking everything to the core and throwing these theories out there and and all these different ideas about what they messed up. And I'm like, guys, it's a movie. It's everything in this movie is fake. Like, yeah, nothing actually happened. Um, somebody <laughs> wrote a story and people acted it out on a screen and you're watching it. Mm-hmm. Like. So if we kind of treat it as that, then we maybe take it a little less seriously. But, um, yeah, I think it's it's odd that it's been met with such weird um, polarizing reactions um, because it, it, it's the most unique Star Wars movie that's ever been made. Um, and I think Rogue One is right behind it because it was such a different tone yeah. um, than, any, than anything else that's ever been done in the franchise. But uh, you know, for what they... Took what took what was um, set forth in the Force Awakens, which was a great movie and uh, was a, I thought a good blend of callback and um, a passing of the torch to it to a new generation. And now um, this saga is officially all about the new generation. The you know these these legacy characters are gone, um, and uh, the hope or the spark for the story lies with this new generation of characters that they've written 
and um, I think that was the intent all along. How they got there is, I think, what people have an issue with, but, um, you know, this movie did what it needed to do to um, keep the ball rolling and set up what... The best thing about this is, is that after The Force Awakens, you could probably sit down and, and think about a few things that you knew were going to happen in this movie. You knew that Rey is going to train with Luke Skywalker. You mm-hmm. knew that General Leia is going to try and piece the Resistance back together um, and keep fighting. Um, you knew that Kylo Ren wasn't done trying to find um, Luke Skywalker and kill him. And you knew um, that this war was still going on. Um, I think where we left off with The Last Jedi and leading into Episode Nine, we don't really have any idea. Um, thing, I mean, they pack the Resistance on on the Millennium Falcon for God's sake. Like, yeah, you know, and um, so, but there's still a battle to be fought, and where that goes, we, you know, it's anyone's guess. Like, literally, no idea what they could possibly do to because this third movie also has to conclude this story too. So I'm pretty excited to see where it goes. Exactly. And it's going to be a lot of fun. I, I, and I, I enjoy you talking about it because it's a lot of things that I think about. And I, of course I love movies. I love talking about movies, but I love the, uh, the excitement and I definitely love the, uh, the way that you talk about it. Cause there's obviously a lot of reverence and there's also a lot of fun in the way you do it. And I'm never going to forget, uh, when Rob and I were at a first Ohio battery Christmas party, uh, when he started uh, uh, giving an exact uh, recital of General Hux's speech um, at the table, and I, he may have had you know six, seven, eight, nine, ten, maybe twelve beers at that point. Oh, yeah, maybe like <laughs> just just a few, exactly, just a few. But uh, <laughs> now, before I let you go, Rob, uh, I want to give you an opportunity to plug where we can find all your writing, where we can, yeah, you know, where everything can be found on Twitter as well. So that uh, they can follow along, and then obviously later on, uh, people are going to have to follow um, the Twitter account and everything else that's going to be going on with our podcast over at right. uh, First Ohio Battery as well. Yeah. So, but first, I won't get too ahead of myself. I want you to uh, give yourself, uh, you know, pump your pump yourself up here a little bit. Sorry, oh, too kind. Um, you can find uh, my work at First Ohio Battery, uh, where I do some editing um, and some daily coverage. Um, on a national level, I write a weekly column for, for, for the sporting news um, on some key storylines from around the NHL. And then after after every Blue Jackets game on the Athletic app, um, I will write the every player re, um, report cards de- detailing excuse me um, how each Blue Jackets player performed in that game. So, yeah, lots going on. Um, it's an exciting time of year, too, as uh, hockey season starts to get real now. Exactly. So make sure that you're following at First Ohio Battery as well on Twitter to be able to see what's uh, going to be coming down the pike for uh, Rob and I. But you can follow me at Sam underscore Blazer, and you can follow uh, at NHL Numbers for everything regarding uh, Watch the Game as well. And make sure to rate, subscribe, and comment on the uh, our iTunes page there. It helps us out a lot, and the visibility there is huge as well. And uh, I know we've been having a little bit of breaks and some hiatuses, obviously, do to own personal things myself, and it, I'm glad for everyone tuning back in again. It is a lot of fun to do this week in and week out and get the feedback from it. So until next time, I appreciate you guys for listening. Bye.